0: Yeah, go ahead and have a seat. Welcome again, everybody, to New Anthem Church. So glad you are here. You picked a great Sunday to start coming to church because we're starting a brand new series today, and it might be the uh, most important message I've probably ever preached. Can't promise you that it's going to be the greatest... But it's going to be the most important. Every fall, we like to do a series called Frequently Asked Questions where we try and answer questions that people ask. Uh, Questions you've asked, questions your friends ask, questions your family ask, questions like, why would a good God allow pain and suffering? Uh, Questions like, is God anti-gay? Questions like, can we trust the Bible? You know easy questions like like that kind of stuff, so uh, just so you know, as long as i 'm the pastor, we will always make time to answer those questions, and this will always be a safe place for you to ask those kinds of questions i don 't want us wasting time answering questions that nobody is asking. I think God has things that He wants to speak to your life, and I think it's valid that you have questions like that, and I think it's important for you to uh, try and find answers to those kinds of questions, and uh, I feel like this morning this might be the most asked question we've ever had since we've been doing this. It's asked a lot of different ways. Uh, Primarily, the question was, why am I so depressed? Uh, if I'm a Christian, can I be depressed? That that came up uh, in, in some questions. Uh, it doesn't mean I'm not a cr- Christian. What about my spouse? Why are they so depressed? Question I used to wonder. Maybe you've wondered the same thing. Why can't I just get over it? It's been like six months. How, how come I'm still wrestling with this? This topic is particularly timely. Uh, this idea of depression because one in four Americans... Over 70 million people will meet the criteria for major depression at some point in their lives. It's roughly 10 times higher than it was two generations ago. This is it in graph form if you want to see it generation by generation. How heartbreaking is it that now in the year 2019 at age 12 your chance of depression skyrockets? I think there are some reasons why this happens and reasons that we're going to talk about today. But for me, I, I, one in nine kids, age 12 to 18, are on antidepressants. Why is that? Here's a frequently asked question. Uh, why are young people so susceptible to depression? 20 to 30 years ago, nobody was talking about this. Uh, a couple things I need you to hear me say before we really dive into this. First of all, listen to me. For me to stand up here and say that I can solve your problems in 42 minutes is absurd. Now I've Poured over thousands of pages of research I've spent hours and hours studying this and praying over this and begging God for him to show up this morning to help you and I think I've got some things that can potentially help you but here's what I can tell you with complete impunity nobody really knows the cause of depression they've linked it to trauma they've linked it to abuse They've linked it to genetics, they've linked it to diet, they've even linked it to medication. And so for me to say, here's three things it's going to cure your depression, that's ridiculous. It's untrue and unhelpful. Now in that same breath, please, please hear me say, there is hope. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is a good news. I've got some information that scientifically backs me up that says God can help you. And He's designed your body in such a way that if you do a few things, you can help yourself. But it's a long journey. And we're here to connect with you and here to help you. Do you know in developing countries like third world countries... The rate of depression are a fraction of what they are in the West. Only known group of Americans to not be hit by this epidemic, the Amish. Isn't that interesting? Science is discovering that clinical depression is almost completely non-existent among groups of people whose way of life is similar to that of our ancestors actually I read an article about a social scientist who lived with an aboriginal group of people in Papua New Guinea for over a decade. He recorded, get this, high rates of infant mortality, high rates of parasitic infection. That sounds awesome. <laughs> high rates of violent death. And in his extensive questioning of over 2,000 Kulali people, you know how many depressed patients he had? a zero, nil, none, and it wasn't because their life was easy. Make the flight over to America and the number one killer of kids age 15 to 24 is suicide, which my heart just breaks for them. It's been a little over a decade, but a girl I grew up with, looking at her from the outside, you'd never know something was wrong, and she chose to take her own life. It pains me that kids are wanting to make a permanent, irreversible attempt to solve an otherwise temporary problem. We can and must do better. So here's what I know. You might be here, and you might not understand depression. You've never gone through it. I'm with you. Prior to this, I really had no idea what this was all about. But I think I can help you. You might be here, and you might be struggling with it, or going through it right now, or in the past, or you know somebody who is. And again, I've got news. I think I good news. I think I can help you too. Quite frankly, if I could just reassure you from the Bible, you're not the only one going through this. The pro- prophet Jeremiah said he wished he died in his mother's womb. That's Jeremiah twenty nine seventeen. You know what Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you. And six verses later, he's like, why didn't you just kill me? Jonah, Jonah 4.3, God just kill me. Paul, 2 Corinthians 1, eight, he wrote, I despaired of life and the people that were with me did too. Like this isn't easy. And here's what I'm trying to drive us at. You can be a Christian and still be depressed. Certainly, sin can cause depression. But but moreover, just because you're depressed doesn't mean you've sinned. We see that over and over in Scripture. This is a disease. And the good news is, even though the journey is long to recovery, I think I can help you get there. By God's help. Amen, somebody. All that being said, here's what I need you to do. So listen right up front. I'm not a professional. I'm a preacher. Now, we do have people in this group among us today who are professionals. So I would highly encourage you, after we talk about some steps that I think can help you, that I think you should take, if you still need help, man, please let us know. Write it on your connection card If you're too embarrassed We will call you today If we need to Find somebody in a lanyard There connect you with the people That you need to talk to We're going to have people Including a professional Back at Connection Corner People who will pray for you If that's all you need But you have to communicate People can help you This is not something you should try And beat by yourself The vision of this church is to be a place that connects you to God's purpose. And I I think you need to know that God's purpose for you is life. Amen. It's freedom. It's joy through his son Jesus. And so here's what we're going to do, same thing we do every night, Pinky. We're going to try and take over the world. No, we're going to we're going to read. We're going to read some of the Bible. I'm going to talk to you about some scientific things that back up what we're going to read in Scripture, but it's all going to start with God because I think hope begins with Him. And so if you got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. First Kings chapter 19 is where you need to go. While you're getting there, I need to show you a helpful video, okay? So go ahead and take a look at this. So that's a huge snake in my yard. First of all, I need you to ignore what I'm wearing, okay? This was a surprise attack by the enemy. He's got me looking like Cousin Eddie out here in the freaking. Uh, But so, what I really need you to be wondering is why is there no audio on on the video? And there's a reason there's no audio on the video is because my wife, your co pastor, she's behind the camera. She says some words that are inappropriate to be heard in church. And so the point of that is you need to pray for her, okay, and her, her salvation. I'm not sure where she's landing on that currently. And uh, you're wondering, what does this have to do with anything? Absolutely nothing. I probably, it has nothing to do with depression. I was just really a wreck after this whole thing. I almost stroked out picking up that snake. And so I just needed some group therapy time for all of us, but uh, you're welcome. 1 Kings chapter 19 is where we're at. Don't ever ask me to pick up a snake for you because it ain't happening. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones in a jar of water. So he ate, drank, and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again, touched him, and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead of you will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. How many of y'all know that's some good bread? Come on, somebody else. The mountain of God is where he went. He came to a cave where he spent the night. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for being so relevant to thousands of years of history that even today we can come and gather in this place and hear from you and be better because of it. We have a difficult topic to discuss, God, today. Let my words be from you. Let them be clear and articulate Speak to our hearts and our minds and help us better understand this problem that we're facing together. May you be glorified in these next minutes together. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message today is Remembering It Wrong. Remembering It Wrong. Has that ever happened to you? My fish was this big. Are you sure about that? Uh, Or back in my day, there's a clue you're about to remember something wrong. Uh, we had to walk uphill, both ways, in the snow. Uh, that's probably not accurate, and we're rem- remembering it wrong. The other day, I went to Leaker's Pharmacy to get some uh, medicine for Lenny, and the lady asked me, what's her birth date? And I s- did what all of you do. I went through all my kids. I was like, it was October, it was late, and then, on, uh, yeah, there's April, uh, April 17, 2016, and the lady looks at me, like, confused. And so now I'm confused, and I'm, like, sweating. I was like, is that not it? And she was like, what's the year again? And so now I'm panicking. I was like, is this a test? If I get this wrong, is she getting her medicine still? Like, I don't... I just, she's my third kid. 2000, I'm, so I go through all the dates, you know. Like, my, my mom's 59, my dad's 58, I was 82, Laura's 83. Layton's 2010, Laura's 2000. So i'm pretty sure it's 2016 lady you're you're confusing me and she's like how about 2017 Four, seventeen, 17 she said condescendingly i was like yeah sure i believe you you got the computer why are you asking me you know like, again she should be lucky i remember her name she's number three we're trying to play zone over here i don't know who this guy you know just give me the medicine remembering it wrong That's a lot of what depression is, focusing on the wrong thing because you remember it incorrectly. In fairness, much of what we talk about today comes from a guy named Dr. Stephen Alardi. He's a neuroscientist, and he wrote uh, an incredibly helpful book. He he practices at KU. He's also a research uh, uh, professor. And uh, he wrote an incredibly helpful book called The Depression Cure. Now, I know what you're thinking right off the bat. You're thinking what could somebody from Lawrence possibly know about depression? You know, they got KU, they got Chick-fil-A, they got Chick-fil-A at KU. Come on, somebody like, what does he know about any of this stuff? And, but trust me, I thought the same thing. And then I remembered they had a football team, you know, and it was like, clearly this guy's been through a lot, you know, so let's, let's just give him a little bit of a chance Uh, More importantly, he has over a decade of successful research in helping people with depression. And he says that depression is closely linked to a toxic thought process called rumination. A rumination is the habit of dwelling on negative thoughts, turning them over and over in your mind. Being from Kansas, that word rumination should sound familiar. It's the same word that farmers use to describe how a cow chews its cud they chew it up and they ruminate, chew it for a while, swallow it, vomit it back up, start chewing on it a little more. You ever do this with your thoughts? You just keep stirring on something, replay it in your mind. Why'd they say that? What is that supposed to mean? Why didn't they talk to me? What's this text all about? Uh, Why aren't they coming over anymore? Are they doing something with somebody else? And you're just replaying the scene over and over. Rumination. Likely remembering it wrong. Here's what I want you to write down. The way we live powerfully affects the way we feel. That's what we're going to learn today. The way we live powerfully affects the way we feel. I'm going to show you this in your own life, but first I'll show it to you in our text with elijah verse 3 elijah was afraid he fled for his life but then what verse 4 he prays that he might die hold up that seems contradictory he flees for his life to keep it in order that he might die that doesn't make any sense yeah because the way you live powerfully affects the way you feel so, a couple things I want to point out about depression, not to diagnose anything, but simply to describe it. First of all, you know what this is with Elijah? This is a case of faulty thinking. Jot that down. You want to recognize depression in yours or somebody else's life? You need to know uh, that, that there's faulty thinking. You need to analyze your thoughts. You can see this clearly with Elijah. We need to back up and put a little bit of this into context because we'll see how absurd this actually is. Our text starts out by talking about Ahab and Jezebel. You might be wondering, well who are they? Ahab is the 7th king of Israel. This is a little bit confusing because there's actually two kingdoms. You remember way back our boy King David, he he killed Goliath and all that, unified the kingdom of Israel and Judah, and then he was pretty awesome. And his son Solomon, also pretty awesome. Solomon's kids, dumb. Okay? Not awesome. They end up splitting the kingdom. We've got Israel up in the north. We've got Judah in the south. And Ahab is the seventh king of the northern kingdom in Israel. And if you'll read 1 Kings chapter 16, it says Ahab is the most evil king ever in the history of Israel. So that's not very cool. And it says he's married to Jezebel, his evil queen wife. She's also not great. And they set up an institution of worship. of Baal, a metal idol that somebody just created. And they have child sacrifices that you have to perform to Baal. And you got to cut yourself, and there's blood and black magic and all kinds of just ridiculous stuff that I don't even have time to explain. So God sends Elijah to town. The very first thing he asks Elijah to do is go into the castle and say, it ain't going to rain until I say it's going to rain. And then he just walks out. And everybody's like, who is this guy? And what's he even talking about? And the craziest part, it stops raining. Does what he said he's going to do. And God leads Elijah to this brook that never dries up. There's always water for him. And he has crows fly in, like the bird. Caw-caw, caw-caw crows. And feed him. Like, this is the first Uber Eats we have recorded in all of Scripture. Like, the crows drop dropping. You thought your life was weird. Y'all need to read the Bible. This stuff is crazy. And uh, Elijah does a little bit of ministry for a while. He performs some miracles for some widows. And then he decides to throw this epic challenge to the prophets of Baal. He gets 450 of them together and says, Hey, we're going to find out who the real God is. Y'all come up to me to this mountain. And you start praying to your God and I'll pray to my God and whichever God sends lightning down from heaven and burns up this sacrifice, that's the God that we're going to worship. And so Elijah sits down in his lawn chair and he says, y'all go first. And then he starts making fun of them. And he's like, you all better yell a little louder. Sounds like your God's taking a nap. And nothing happens. They start cutting themselves start singing and chanting. And he's like, maybe he ate a bad burrito. He's in the bathroom. He can't hear you. Scream a little louder. And just, it's my favorite scripture because sarcasm is clearly a spiritual gift. And I just love this whole story. And nothing happens. And finally, they're like, man, you go. And so Elijah prays and pours water and water all over these sacrifices. And what happens? Boom! Lightning from heaven burns up the sacrifice and all the rocks they used to make the altar. Ba-boom! And then he kills everybody. So that's awesome. You know, it's A little different ministry than what I have. Uh, prayed for that on the front end. It didn't work out. But uh, that's where we find ourselves when Ahab comes back to Jezebel. He says, here's what happened. He killed everybody. His God's clearly God. And what's Jezebel say? No, may the gods kill me if I don't kill you. And Elijah's afraid after he had just proved there are no other gods. My God is God. And gods can't do anything. And the point is clear. Faulty thinking allows somebody else to control your feelings. How often does that happen in your life? If these people would just do this. If I could just... And every time... And they said... And if they would... And every time you start allowing other people to dictate how you live, you find yourself on a slippery slope. And how you live affects how you feel. So what's Elijah do when he's afraid? He goes alone, verse 4, into the wilderness. Verse 3, he leaves his servant in town. Verse 4, goes out into the desert alone. Write it down like this. One of the beginning stages of depression, Isolation. Isolation. Got to get away from these people. Got to isolate myself. This is why pretty much every single week you're going to hear me stand up and talk to you about coming to church. Not because you need, not because I need you to be here, but because you need to be here, surrounded by people worshiping together. I'm going to talk to you every single week about how you need to get on a serve team, doing life with other people, having a purpose bigger than yourself. And you're going to hear me every single week talking about how you need to get in a group. And you need to be in a relationship with other people. I'm so passionate about this idea of you being in one of our home groups, one of our significant relationship groups, um, that I'm not trying to build a small group empire. In fact, despite my passion for you being in this group, if you feel like, well, they just want something from me, join a group at a different church. I don't care. I just want you surrounded by other people. You know, we have people from other churches in our groups because they understand the importance of being in a relationship with other people. You know, how absurd would it be for me to say, well, you can't join another church? No, if you think that's going to help you, then just surround yourself with other people. Why? Because relationships are the point of life. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. With regards to depression, studies have shown that having one supportive confidant cut the risk of depression in half. Just having one person you could talk to. The same study went on to say the problem is the vast majority of teenagers don't have a single person they feel like they can talk to. What about your parents? Nope, can't talk to them. No friends at school. And what's worse is probably if they would have interviewed adults, they'd all feel the same way. Like, you don't have anybody you can talk to. We've engineered our church around developing a relationship for you that's confidential so you can talk to somebody. Another study found the presence of harshly critical individuals makes you more vulnerable to depression. So next week, we're going to talk about how to deal with difficult people. But here's where we found ourselves as a culture. We've decided that because of that, we're going to trade FaceTime for screen time. And now we're just all too busy swiping and everything else. And even the creators of social media are like, this isn't working. They're coming on this apologetic tour of everybody. And they're like, look, we need to set some limits on all this because this was our bad. And now, our, on average, the uh, square footage of your home has doubled, and everybody's got their own room. The problem is, they all come home and they go to their room, and it's got their little glowing device in there, and you never see them again. And everybody's Fortnite and Faceboxing and Instagramming, and it's depressing because you're not ever talking to anybody. You know why third world countries aren't depressed? Because they're constantly around other people. They don't have bedrooms. Believe me, I've been there. They don't have privacy. They can't hide. What's the very first thing God said when He created a man? It ain't good for you to be alone. I'm going to create a helper fit for you. Isolation is not good. And that's where Elijah found himself. What's He do next? He says, I've had enough. That is to say, He allows His feelings to lead Him. He's led by feelings. You want to know if something's going on inside of you that's not going to end the way you want it to end? Are you listening to your feelings? Are they leading your life? Or is reality leading it? Going back to this idea of rumination, rumination is a vicious cycle that will go on and on indefinitely, until something or someone comes along to interrupt it. I'm trying to be that person for you today, which goes back to the idea of not being alone. We've got to have other people in our life that can speak life into what you're ruminating about, that can help us get our reality back and get our eyes off of feeling. Our boy Jeremiah wrote that the heart is deceitful above all things. Well, that's not good if you're just following your heart. It's leading you somewhere you don't want to go. So what's the answer? If we can recognize depression starting to take hold of our lives, what can we do about it? You know, How can we help our friends who are going through it if we recognize some of those areas in their lives? Well, what's God do with Elijah? He actually does four things, but uh, under the context of one big umbrella thing, three words, get healthy physically. Get healthy physically. I'm going to tell you four ways you can do that, that, that God leads Elijah to do, or well, the angel of the Lord leads Elijah to do, arguably Jesus, but you got to get healthy physically. Now, that being said, depression is absolutely a de- disease. I fully understand that. And like any disease, you might need to get some medication to help you with your disease. Here's a little bit of the problem with that though. Medication for this particular disease works in less than half of the patients who try them. 150 million antidepressant prescriptions were written last year. That's over a 400% increase since 1990. Yet in case after case after case after case, only 23 patients, 23% of patients were on antidepressants, uh, were antidepressant free after six months. So in less than a quarter of the people that get on this, does it actually work long term for them? That's what I'm trying to say. And if you're on an antidepressant ever, the likelihood that you'll have to get back on it is astronomical, which as we've already discovered, the depression numbers keep going up. If medication was working, it would go down. Tracking with me? 150 million people wouldn't be suffering last year if this was completely working. And so listen to me again. I am not (laughs) anti-medication. I am for anything that we can do to combat combat this disease and it's worth fighting every way possible. But I want to show you what the Bible says and I want to also show you what some science says when it comes to this fight and how the two are not opposed to each other. Okay? Science is going to back up what God does with Elijah right here. This is what I'm trying to tell you. First of all, what's Elijah do? He takes a nap. He takes a nap. Some of y'all love naps. I thought I would get a more response from that. But uh, he falls asleep under this broom tree. Do you know 80% of depressed patients experience some sort of uh, sleep disturbance? Sleep is so important that it's now considered a form of torture to deprive somebody of sleep. And science shows that when you don't get enough sleep, your memory and your concentration wane. You're more irritable, which is why some of you need to take naps anyway. Uh, reflex, uh, reflexes and coordination suffer. Your immune system shuts down. That's why you're getting sick. Your body's using all that energy from your immune system. Just make sure your organs are working. I've got a whole list of things in my office that I can tell you happens when you don't sleep. But one of the biggest inhibitors of your sleep, Your phone. Your little glowing device in your room. Light, we're going to talk about the light, but more importantly, every ding, every push notification. This is why, parents, if you have teenagers, I'm, I'm imploring you, don't let them sleep with their phone. You're there. Who else do they need to talk to? And it's waking them up, and now they can't suffer, and now they're getting sick, and now at the age of 12, depression is skyrocketing. they got to be able to get some good, healthy sleep. What else does Elijah ha- uh, God do for Elijah? He lets him sleep, then he gives him some good food, right? Gives him some warm bread from Texas Roadhouse, a little apple butter, some water. He says, you're going to need this, and you need to eat some good food. Do you know your brain is made up almost entirely of fat? It is. 60% by dry weight, fat, your brain. Um, Every neuron in your brain requires an element of fat in order to grow. Where this gets sideways, though, is not every fat is created equal. Your body can actually manufacture every fat you need except for two. God has created it this way, I believe. The two fats that your body cannot manufacture, omega-3s and omega-6s, I don't want to get too deep into this, but you need to know that omega threes are considered an antidepressant, and uh, there's a high. You need to have a higher. Uh, you need to have a balanced ratio of omega threes to omega sixes, one to one. You can survive and and thrive mentally with uh, three to one, all the way up to five to one. The problem is, with most Americans on their diet, they have a 17 to 1 ratio of omega-6s to omega-3s. Omega-6s are classified as an inflammatory. It's not letting your body work the way it's supposed to work. You need to get more omega-3s. Where do omega-3s come from? Grass, plants, vegetables, uh, which is why, when animals, way back in the day, they used to eat grass and you'd eat the animal and you'd get some omega 3s. Omega 6s, where do they come from? Grains, nuts, what's most of our livestock eat now? Grains. And so now you're getting way more omega 6s than is what's healthy. And you need to figure out a way to get more omega 3s into your body. Here's what you really need to know. I'll quote Dr. Alardi. Research now makes one thing clear. Omega-3 fats have a potent antidepressant effect. Nearly 20 other studies have solidified what he said in this single statement. Omega-3s, you've got to get them into your life. I can give you the research if you want it, or if you want to know how to get it, email me. I'd be happy to help you. Uh, Look at what God says next. Verse 7. You've got a journey ahead of you. Okay, we let you sleep. We got some good food in you. Now you got this journey ahead of you. What does this mean? You got to exercise. You want an antidepressant thing? Exercise. A landmark study at Duke University found that 30 minutes of brisk walking, and brisk is defined as your heart rate is between 120 to 150 depending on your age. This is what they call aerobic exercise. So, 30 minutes of that. Three times a week was more effective than taking Zoloft in fighting clinical depression. Let that sink in. Exercise was more effective than medicine. My words? Exercise is medicine. Here's the real kicker they found zero negative side effects of walking. You know what the side effects of Zoloft are? Weight gain, insomnia, emotional numbing, thoughts of suicide, decreased libido. Have fun explaining that to your kids on the way home. (laughs) Walk. Just got up this morning, was reading the news, drinking my coffee, praying and doing my kind of routine. Uh, Article popped up in my news feed that a scientist had just got done studying the longest living people in the world which are in, like, Japan and Italy and not here. And uh, he, he, he wrote down everything um, that these people were doing to, to figure out if there was anything that we could start doing so we'd live longer, because they are living, like, well over 100. You know what the number one thing was? What are we talking about? <gasps> exercise. Number one in people how to live longer. They exercised. And not just because they were like, let's get up and walk, but because their life depended on them walking to like get water and food and, and all of this stuff. Exercise is vitally important to your body. Uh, furthermore, with our Duke University study, the scientists had the audacity to check back in on these people who were taking so and walking. A year later, the people who keep, kept walking, depression-free. What in the world? Just by walking. I'll quote from the study. Aerobic exercise is the most potent antidepressant activity ever discovered with the ability to reverse the toxic effects of depression on the brain. Not just help you, reverse the stuff that's happening. The vast majority of Americans get zero minutes of aerobic exercise per day. That was the study. Zero minutes of a rope. You might walk around, but you ain't doing nothing to your heart, right? So, finally, I want to point out the first thing Elijah did before taking a nap was he went and sat under a broom tree. Why is that bad? Because darkness causes depression. Science has shown that you have to get some sunlight. This is why the depression rates skyrocket in the winter time or in places where it's dark more often. Uh, because your body needs sunlight. God has made your body such an amazing one. Did you know when you walk outside, the, your uh, sunlight hits your corneas and everything in your eyes and it starts triggering this reaction in your brain to create vitamin D. Your body needs vitamin D. And uh, your body is so amazing that your cells actually store more vitamin D than you need. Why? So in the wintertime, when there ain't no sun and everybody hates everybody, your body will kick in some vitamin D and you're like, oh, this is way better than me hating you. And that was God's design. Because you've got to have some sunlight. This uh, Dr. Elardi did some research and actually... Uh, had people get light boxes in their houses, and it had a, a crazy antidepressant effect. The way you live powerfully affects the way you feel. Last thing, draw this down. You want to feel better? Make time for God. Get healthy physically. Make time for God. If you'll read on in the story, you'll see uh, Elijah in this cave, 40 days, Mount Sinai, where Moses went. And God shows up, and uh, he shows up in the form of an earthquake and a tornado. And then there's like a forest fire, and God's not in any of it. And then what's he do? Whispers to Elijah. And it was in the whisper that God showed up. In other words, if you want to hear God's voice, you have to turn down the world's volume. Your pace of life is preventing you from hearing God. How do I know that? Psalm 46:10. Be still and know that I am God. In other words, if you can't be still, you'll never know God. That's what I just said. Be still. That's why I like that Dr. Alardi says, we were never designed for this sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. It's not God's best for you. So let me close by saying this. Your body is composed of a spiritual side, a physical side, and an emotional side. And they all three are interwoven together. And if one is off, it's going to affect all of the others. And uh, how you live powerfully affects how you feel. And If you get nothing else I say, you have to hear me say that God wants to change how you live. Make no mistake. You were designed for something You were designed for a relationship with God and with other people. And you can't hear me say, you can't hear me say that if you'll just take a nap and eat some good food, you'll be fine. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying God's created your body in such a way that if you'll do some small incremental steps over and over and over and over, He'll help you and you'll get better. Dr. Alardi talks about a man who was depressed for 41 consecutive years. Day after day after day after day for 15,000 days. I hate my life. What's the point? Woe is me. And after 18 weeks of this uh, program that Dr. O'Lardy put him on of doing small things over and over and continually adding and gradually getting better. After 18 weeks, this man said, this is what I remember it feeling like to be free. God said he set his son Jesus for you to be free. This is what's at stake for you. That through Jesus, your sins can be forgiven. That when you understand how your body works, He can set you on a new path. And this is not meant to be an escape from your problems. This is meant to be an engagement with the God who can solve your problems. This is what this is all about. God's ready. He loves you, He cares for you. Don't get me wrong, it's going to take some work on your part. A lot of work. But listen to me that's why we're here. We're here for you connect you, God's people, back to God's purpose. There's hope for you today. Your life can change. It can be better. Can't do it alone. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to know who I'm praying for today. So if you're here and you're struggling with this depression, not asking you to come up or do anything like that or I'm asking you just to be vulnerable with me right now so I can just pray for you. Would you would you raise your hand for me? Thank you. Thank you. Yes. God, I've seen these hands. I just want to beg you to do what only you can do. And fill these folks up with your Holy Spirit. And I understand how depression affects your brain and you're hurting, you're physically hurting. That's a result of this. God wants to help you. God, give them some encouragement today. Help them have the right conversation with the right person put this back in perspective. Let us stop ruminating on these negative thoughts, but rather start thinking of you. You're a child of God. God, every person in here is your child. You created them, you care for them, you love them. Some of you, though, have maybe never accepted this free love of Christ. He died for you. He wants to be in a relationship with you, and I want to give you a chance to do that right now. To say, God, I believe in your son, Jesus. That he came to this earth to bring life. He died for my sins, he rose from the dead. I'm forgiven. Thank you for saving me. Help me as I walk out of here today to live for You. God, we submit our lives to You. We know the best is yet to come. Connect us to You and to Your people. We love You. We praise You. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.